life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. We are glad you took some time to be here in person or watching online. In fact, those of you in the room, can we just say hello by applause to all those who are watching out there, man. We're so thankful. We know sometimes through a screen you don't feel as connected, but we want you to know wherever you are today, we are all Faith Church together. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been in a summer study, kind of walking through this book, and we're in the section of this book now where the Apostle Paul was writing uh, back to the church in Corinth. And he was answering some of their questions that they had. It was a little bit like a Sunday Night Live that's going to happen tonight. Live broadcast, 6 o'clock. You can tune in on our website, our, our central hub, faithchurchcast.org, where we're going to take uh, some time, about 45 minutes of broadcast. Myself, Pastor Clayton, Pastor Kerry, we're going to be uh, there answering your questions as it relates to the content and the topics that we've covered so far. It's a great way to learn and grow. Pastors answering questions is something the Apostle Paul did, and we just figured let's continue to do it ourselves. So tonight, 6 o'clock, join us, submit some questions, interact in the chat, and uh, we will grow and learn more together as we ask questions, lean in, and and discover some things. But the Apostle Paul is addressing some things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, answering some questions and responding to some chaotic happenings in the church. And uh, that's where we're going to jump in today. Let, let's go 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 2. Now, just kind of heads up, prepare you a little bit. Uh, last week we talked about compassion and love and respect for one another and how Jesus lived with grace and with truth and kind of that whole compassionate side of things. Well, today's a little bit more of like the truth side of some things, some topics that we're not sometimes easy to understand or grapple with. In fact, there are many theologians who believe that 1 Corinthians 11, especially here this first part, are some of the most complex Greek uh, and grammatical structures and content kind of written by Paul. Like some of the most challenging to interpret and understand and get right. And because uh, it kind of deals head on with some things as we talk about like gender and like roles in the family and men and women and the differences and yet the uniquenesses and how God wants us to operate and some of these things in scripture. I don't know if you've known this or realized this about the Bible. But the Bible tells us and points us in a direction on how we ought to live. And it's not always the same with our culture. Kind of goes countercultural in some things. And so I'm going to do my best to make it light and fun, but yet still really, really clear. And do my best to bring about some, some clarity to perhaps some things that seem confusing. Because as we'll read here in a minute, 
It seems like the Apostle Paul is saying one thing, and then three sentences later, he's saying something totally different, and it's like he's contradicting himself. You're like, come on, Paul, would you just make up your mind already? And it gets a little confusing, so just kind of hang with us, and, and we'll get going, all right? Are we ready? Let's, let's read. Here we go. Starting in verse 2, I praise you for remembering in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So first thing, he's like, hey, kudos on some things. You guys have done some good things, and we'll get to that in a minute. He says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it, if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shave her head, then she would cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. What? Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Huh? It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Well, that's clear. Thanks for that. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man. Okay. Nor is man independent of woman. Wait, is that the same thing? I'm not sure anymore. For as woman came from man, so also man came from woman. Hello, we know biology. But everything comes from God. Thanks for that. So, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things tell you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? Oh, men aren't allowed to have long hair? Wait, I thought Jesus had long hair. What is, okay, Paul, hold on. For long hair is given, uh, but, but if a woman has long hair, it's, it's okay because it's for her glory. For long hair is given for her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So let it be done. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Like, Thanks, Paul. What are you saying? What are you not saying? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is really addressing two main issues, two big picture issues. Um, both these sections are addressing one of those things. And, and both of the issues relate to the gathering of God's people. At their core, and big picture idea. He's trying to bring some order to their disorder in how they gathered and what they did when they were together. There were some inappropriate things happening, some wild things that were happening. There were some things that were um, not done in order. They were not done decently, that's for sure. There were some things that were just chaotic. Anybody who wanted to say something, it was like open mic night at church. Everybody had something to say and doing something. And sister so-and-so had this thing and brother so-and-so said this thing. And it was like, who's in charge of this house? Like, what is going on? 
There were some chaotic things that were taking place, and the church in Corinth was nuts. We said from the very beginning of this study that, like Paul was writing specifically to this church, they had some crazy things that were going on. There were some wild things from, from, a, from a, a personal decision nature. They were taking what they thought was freedom in Christ and using it as the liberty to sin and do whatever they wanted and called it good and holy and it's okay, I'm following my truth. And, and they were breaking down certain understandings and constructs. And, and Paul's coming and he's addressing two big ideas. He, the first issue he addresses is this idea of social customs and family headship. That's, that's really what he's addressing in this first section that we read. The second issue that Paul addresses is a, a little later on in chapter 11, and it's an issue of social status and, 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 and selfish chaos when it comes to communion and how they, they sold things. They, 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 were, they were misappropriating coming to the table of the Lord, the bread and, and, and the juice. They were, they were coming and having a meal, and it was chaos, and people were getting drunk, and it wasn't helpful and people were eating ahead of time and weren't waiting for other people to get there or to bring food and if you brought the food you just ate your own food and didn't care about anybody else having food or not having food and you're like I'm just doing my own thing and it was crazy and he was trying to address some things because the the, the Corinthian church was creating just this this litany of chaos in their gatherings and Paul's like um you do realize that when you gather, you're not gathering for your own individual gain. But when you gather, you're gathering for mutual edification. I want you to understand something. At Faith Church, we understand that church is not an individual sport. Following Jesus is not an individual Olympic event. Following Jesus is about the gathered people of God recognizing that my faith helps your faith. My journey helps your journey. Your faith and my faith combined. And when we assemble together, we don't show up as an individual to consume a commodity known as Christianity. Rather, we show up to contribute to the life and embodiment of Jesus among us. I don't show up to get something from our gatherings. I show up to bring mutual edification into your heart and life and spirit, into your faith. You don't show up to church for what you get out of church. We show up to church to bring something to encourage and edify and strengthen the people around us. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't know. I, I kind of thought like you just attend church and that's what you did and and I thought I was the church. No, 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 no. You're not the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. You are an individual member within the body. But you on your own lonesome, sweet self following Jesus, however you feel suits your own way, is not you pursuing Jesus, representing the completion of the church. No, no. You are a part of the church. I am a part of the church. And we together are the body of Christ. It's not just an individual experience. It's a gathered people brought for mutual edification. 
And Paul was concerned because their social customs and family headship dynamics were being upended. How they were coming to the table of the Lord was chaotic and selfish and for their own benefit and not really caring about anybody but themselves and their own selfish ways and their own uh, social order of who was more important than another person. And it was all getting out of hand. And Paul's like, um... Can we get some order in this place, please? Can we bring some structure and some systematic approach? Can we, like, take a deep breath and all move together in partnership to accomplish the mission that God has us on? This is what Paul is addressing, and this first issue is, is, is kind of a complex one. It's got many layers. We just read it here in 1 Corinthians 11. He's like, on one hand, like men uh, are created in God, and women were created in God, and men are for women, and women are for men, and, and wait, but, but one is the head, and one is not, and don't show up without your head uncovered, and show up with your head uncovered, but, but by the way, good job, you're doing something right. Well, could you tell us a little more clearly, please, Paul? And this idea of these social customs, and, and I want you to understand that Paul, like many great Bible teachers even to this day, often take common cultural topics or social customs of the day to illustrate and articulate spiritual principles and spiritual postures that we should have. And that's what he's doing. Sometimes the Bible just explains some things, mentions some things as if you know the context, and sometimes the Bible doesn't clarify the context. And you kind of have to do a little bit more digging and correlate with social and, and historical accounts of the day to kind of understand maybe what they were doing. And sometimes the Bible writes and explains what's happening in a context, but not necessarily affirming it as the way to do it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Just explaining that that's the way it was. Like, like for example, um, when the Bible talks about um, how Solomon had many, many wives, like plural, like thousand women kind of a thing. And when so-and-so took a second wife, and he had this, this person and this person, and he, the Bible is not advocating for polygamy. The Bible is not saying, for all of time, have as many wives as you want. In fact, the more wives, the more wealthy you are, it's better. In fact, you'll have better social status and stronger family lines if you have more wives. Well, that practically kind of made sense to them, but that wasn't really God's plan. The Bible is just explaining that that was the context of the social structure. And all the men who are like, thank God I've only got one, said amen. <laughs> right? Like, I got my hands full with one. Thank you, Lord. I don't need four. Like, nope. The Bible's just explaining that it's happening. Or, 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 or. take for example, when Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, oh, friends, brothers, sisters, greet each other with a holy kiss. Paul was not advocating or commanding that for all of time, if you want to honor God and honor your brother and sister, then the only Christian greeting is a kiss. Like the, the, the time in the beginning of our service where we say stand and greet one another, it's already awkward for you introverts. Like, I don't really want to talk to anybody. What if... 
We said, hey, we've got about 60 seconds before the service begins. Why don't you stand, find at least four people, and give them a kiss? <laughs> like, but it's the Bible, Pastor. I know, but that's weird. Like, talk about a super spreader event. <laughs> right? Like, some of you are like, I don't know, I'm single. That might be a great way to find a wife. I'm in on that, Pastor. Right? Like, the Bible is just explaining, like, that was the custom of the day. The Bible isn't trying to say in some hidden way, always greet each other with a kiss. It's the only God-honoring way to greet somebody. And I'm really glad. Right? Really glad. Or, or, or you know, Paul is writing to a specific context, to a specific people who were dealing with a specific set of circumstances. It would be like if I were to email our entire church like I did uh, uh, a year ago and say, friends, it really honors other people when you are in a public gathering, when you wear a mask. That's a good way to honor other people. And in 2,000 years, somebody finds that email because nothing is ever digitally deleted in the cloud. And they find it and come across it, and they're like, oh my gosh, the pastor of this church said, we should honor each other by wearing a mask. Everybody, let's create a new denomination, the church of the mask wearers who honor other people. Y'all, in two months, I hope we don't have to talk about masks anymore, much less in 2,000 years. It would be incorrect to take a cultural appropriation and then say, let's deal with it forever and ever and ever. But that's not the point. The point is honoring other people, not wearing a mask on your face. The point Paul is trying to get at is not to keep your head covered. And women, if you don't have your head covered, you can't honor God. And men, you're never allowed to wear a hat again. But often that's how we approach the scripture. Well, it's in the Bible. It says it right there. It's loud and clear, Pastor. Well, let's, let's do some God-honoring biblical interpretation here. Let's, let's do some study to understand maybe what he's really talking about. The first thing I think we have to ask ourselves when we come to this text is, number one, what was Paul saying they were doing good at? Because he certainly addresses some things that were not only confusing, seems like he talked on both sides of an issue, but like, he at least said they were doing something right. Like, that's good, which is really good. I mean, he was really trying to build them up because a little bit honor, uh, a little bit later in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, 17, he says, but in the following way, I got nothing good to say to you. Like, he, he goes so far as to say, is like, I can't believe y'all are still gathering because when you come together, you do more damage than you do good to the name of Jesus. I don't even know how y'all are still a church. So at least he starts off with saying, hey, you're, you're doing some good things. Like, let's, let's, Let's take the positives and let's build on this, right? Let's, let's grab a moral victory here for, for each other as we move forward. What were they doing well? You know what they were doing well? Not showing up to church to consume. They were showing up to church to contribute. That's what they were doing well. He was saying, men, you're standing up and you're praying and you're prophesying in public. That's great. Women, you're standing up praying and prophesying in public. That's fantastic. You're engaging in the service. When, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he was poured out on men and women alike. 
Sons and daughters were gonna prophesy. Men were gonna dream dreams. Young men and young women were gonna see visions and dreams. And he was saying, this is good. It is good. You're standing publicly. You're leading in prayer. You're standing publicly and you're declaring what God has spoken to your heart. This is good. That you're not allowing genders to differentiate in terms of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and how you can contribute to the family of God. He was saying, you, you guys are partnering together well in this, despite your gender and despite those things. This is good and it's wonderful. What, 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 was, what, is, what is biblical prophecy? Is that like I'm standing up and I'm going to tell you several events in the future and then we'll find out for sure whether I'm good at prophecy or not? Well, sometimes the Bible foretells some things. But New Testament prophecy, as we'll find out here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's better understood that a prophecy in the New Testament church is to bring edification and encouragement to the body of Christ. A prophecy is simply a message from God delivered by a man or a woman to the people of God in public view. What I'm doing right now is a little bit of a prophetic act. Spending time this week listening to the Lord. Lord, what do you want to say to your people? What do you want to say to the church this week? Hearing from the Lord, writing some things, standing up and preaching and proclaiming the message that God has put on my heart for you today. When Pastor Carrie comes and she stands before us and she opens the word and she brings a message from her heart, what is she doing? She is delivering a message from the Spirit of God in her heart to us as a body. And Paul is saying those things are good because you're edifying, you're encouraging one another, and it's important that you continue to do so. But there were some ways in which they were doing it that were not good and were causing some damage. What were those ways? Well, a couple things that Paul was correcting. He was correcting... Um, Really, that uh, in, the, in this text, it reads as men and women in the NIV that we read, but, a, but one of the confusing aspects of the original language, the Greek here, is that the word for man and the word for woman, depending on the context, would also be husband and wife. And it has a different meaning when you say husbands are like this and wives are like this. It has a very different meaning than just women in general and men in general. And so all throughout this section, what he's actually addressing is husbands and wives, not men and women in general. He's actually specifically addressing men and women. So there's some, some family dynamic things that he's trying to, to address. Uh, one of the things that he was correcting was uh, wives were acting like they were unmarried when they were married. And they were trying as a construct of their, their society because of their false god worship of Aphrodite in Corinth were trying to undermine and undo the, what they thought was a social construct of genders. And trying to neutralize and say, no, 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 we don't need gender distinctions. That's not helpful for a society. That's not important anymore. And there was some undermining that was happening in Corinth. Are we beginning to understand perhaps why this letter still applies to us in 2021, maybe? Because the genders were created by God for a holy purpose 
to create a partnership that is reflective of the partnership that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have as they live out the mission that they have in the earth. I'll explain more in just a minute, but that's one of the things that Paul was correcting. They had a misunderstanding, and there was a power struggle based on gender where females were starting to dominate and control and manipulate some things, and give, and, and there was a, a struggle, a power struggle based on gifting, and they were forgetting the fact that God was the author of their lives and their stories, that they themselves were their own gods. And that was a problem. In other words, they were taking the truths of the gospel and making them self-evident and about themselves instead of appropriating them and thinking of them correctly. And he was correcting the way in which they were going about the presentation publicly of their freedoms that they thought were freedoms in Christ and how they were dressing and deconstructing the social construct of what was society was saying in the day appropriate and it was causing some chaos in their message of of the gospel specifically as it relates to the topic of head coverings pastor what do you mean here's what I mean in Corinth in that day and time in that culture it was commonly understood as a social custom that if you had your head covered, it indicated publicly that you were married and unavailable. It was, a, it was an important thing. It was the wedding ring of their day. And Paul was saying, when you show up to church, wives, and you are not appearing like you're married, but instead appearing and acting like you're not married, that's a problem. You're dishonoring your husband. It would be like this if my wife showed up to church and uh, she decided that there was somebody around here who was as good looking as I was. And she decided to take her wedding ring and slip it off her finger and into her pocket and go about flirting and making herself seem available in an inappropriate way. Among the people of God, that would bring dishonor to me. And we would have a conversation. <laughs> That's inappropriate behavior socially within our day. Are we agreed? That's what Paul was saying. You're standing up to prophesy. And you're, you're making a show about you and your freedom. And you're flaunting some things that you ought not be flaunting inappropriate and that's not good the other component of, of the social understanding of their day is that head coverings were not just an indication that you were married but when you did not have your head covered and you had your hair out silky and long and flowing unlike what I've got today but just imagine gold locks flowing it was a, a suggestive invitation that you were soliciting new business. I'm going to wait. It's smart humor. I'm just going to let it catch on for a minute. Let me put it on the bottom shelf. That's how prostitutes made sure the others knew that they were open for business. Their hair was down. Why? I don't know. But it was. 
That's how it was in their society. And Paul was saying, you're standing up to deliver a message on behalf of God dressed like a prostitute. This is a problem. It's distracting and it's inappropriate. Right? And they thought it was a feministic symbol of their autonomy and power as women. And Paul was saying, you're, you're going about it in the wrong way. That's the wrong freedom. You're actually causing more damage to the message of Christ than you are helping the cause of Christ. And you need to step back for a minute and recognize that God is God in your life. And as wives, you need to obey, live in a way that help the message of the gospel go forward, not confuse it for others who are watching or cause distractions in a damaging way. That's really good preaching, Paul. Thank you. And it's all kind of hidden within the understanding of the society and the understanding of that day. But there was something else also at play, and it was the family dynamic and the understanding that Paul was not only addressing how they dressed. So the problem wasn't that women were preaching publicly and that women shouldn't be allowed to preach. The issue was women shouldn't be preaching dressed inappropriately and acting suggestively. Amen. But women who understand how to live appropriately and know how to honor and dress and be modest and, and live a biblical example that is com complementary to the cause of Christ, stand up here. If God's given you a word, preach, proclaim. You are going to find that here at Faith Church, we fully support and believe in allowing women to preach the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus lived it that way. But it doesn't change the fact that he also comes in and he says, um, excuse me, there are some family dynamics here at play, some, some, some relational orders. There, there is some you need to understand. And he starts talking about covering your head and uncovering your head. And don't you know that, that Christ is the head of man and man is the head of Christ? Or in this case, that husbands are the head of the wives. And, and, and don't you realize that God is the head over all of you and all of you are walking in submission to God as 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 you understand that in the relational dynamic of the family, that God instituted that and instituted the differences of the genders and the family unit and the nucleus of the husband and wife, that those are good things ordered and created by God. See, because in the original story of creation, man was created and woman were created and they both were created to reflect the image and the nature and the character of God so that when a husband and a wife walk under submission of God the Father, that there is a mutual partnership that presents itself in a way that is the picture of God's unity amongst himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and there is a purpose to that partnership. And he's saying that the family is meant to be a living, breathing picture of that in the world today. The family dynamic plays a role in the church family. And when I say the dynamic of churches or the dynamic of family, I am talking about the biblical understanding of this word, headship. And when you don't correctly understand what biblical headship is, it is easy for organizations and people 
to get it wrong and be abusive and manipulating and controlling and unhealthy and do damage, not just in a church, but in a family. What is biblical headship, Pastor? Biblical headship is a stewardship and a servanthood of a responsibility, not power and authority to control. If you take a caricature of this, the husband comes home, sits down on the couch, and he waits to be served. And there are certain things that are a woman's job in the home, and there are certain things that are a man's job in the home. And what you find is the activities that we typically associate to genders within a family aren't actually what he's addressing. Not that the men have to handle the money and the women have to handle the grocery list. Because there are some men who shouldn't touch a budget. Because they're not good with money. And there are some women who just don't know how to cook and they probably ought not be buying groceries. (laughs) What's he talking about? He's talking about a posture and a spiritual dynamic. When you understand this, uh, to unpack this a little bit further, headship in the Bible, uh, oftentimes we use the word authority, right? Authority in Scripture, in the biblical understanding in the kingdom of God, is not authority in terms of power to control and dominate, but it rather is a responsibility that you must steward and ultimately are accountable to God for. It's an issue of accountability. Not an issue of selfishness that gets your way however you want. I told you that the dynamics between a husband and a wife, while submitted to God, reflect how God in his triune nature operate as son and spirit. How do those things parallel in a family unit? Well, let me give you an example. Ephesians 4 tells us uh, not only to submit one to another in love. In other words, submission in a marriage relationship is not a one-way road. It is a two-way partnership. Submitting one to another as unto the Lord. And in the family dynamic, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, Don't you understand that just like Jesus loved and gave himself up for the church, husbands, you also love and give yourself up for your family. And, And just like Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the home. What is he saying? He's saying, men, your example on how to be a godly husband and father is to look to the person and the role that Jesus filled. What were the roles that Jesus filled? I'm gonna give you a master class in two minutes. Are you ready? I hope so. Men, if you are married, here is what it looks like to pattern your life and marriage after Jesus. Are you ready? You are a prophet, you are a priest, and you are a king. Those are the roles Jesus filled. Prophets, what do prophets do? They hear the word of God and deliver it to the people of God. Men, your role accountable to God is that you would hear and understand what God's design and desired word is for your family to know the word and to lead your family to walk out the word of God. Men, we ought to be on our face every day. How do I do this? How do I do this? 
I don't care how good your golf game is. What does God's word say? Do you know what it says? It's time to get in there and find out. You want to be the head of your home? Be the one who understands what God's word is and help your family be disciples of God. That's what biblical headship looks like. Prophet, priest. What do priests do? Priests take the needs of the people and intercedes before God for them. Men, learn how to pray. Pray for your families. Pray for your kids. Pray for your wife. Take the needs of your family to God. God, would you help my wife this week as she manages and does all the things that are on her plate? God, would you help my kids find the right friends at the right time for the right reasons to accomplish the right purposes in their life? God, would you, would you help my kids discover your voice, that they would hear your voice and know your voice and follow you? You are the one who goes before God and prays and intercedes. You are the prayer warrior for your family, men. It is not a role that women should occupy alone doesn't mean women don't pray but it means men God is looking to you you want to be the head of your home discover what God's word says and pray passionately for your family and king this is the one we all like that's right I'm gonna be like Jesus I'm gonna be the king of my castle that doesn't mean you get to sit in your lazy boy throne with a recliner and your family bring you sandwiches all day. You know what it means? You wanna you know what a godly king did? They understood what was in their domain of responsibility and they recognized that their kingship was a stewardship. And the only time a godly king would exert their authority or power it was to protect those whom God had given them what are the things that are threatening your family that you're just naturally allowing to occur in your home man Paul was correcting the women and some of the things of their behavior and rejection of these roles and all these things but I'm here to, to, to call the men out a little bit today when men lead their home the way God wants them to lead their home, there's a lot of right things society-wise, in a church, and in a home that happen correctly. At the end of the day, men, your family is a stewardship responsibility given to you by God, and we will stand and give an account to God for how we stewarded that which he gave us. That's what headship means. That you're chiefly responsible before God. Not that you always get your way. Not that you always make all the decisions. Not that you always um, call the shots and do all the correction. No, no, marriage is definitely a partnership. Why? Because like a marriage and like the church, the family needs a partnership. Husbands and wives together. Men, your example is Jesus, but women... Wives, you want to know what your biblical example of is? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. What did the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit comes to connect us to the Father. Holy Spirit comes to guide us, to counsel us, to connect us, to at times bring a, a, a convincing of 
our hearts and of our lives and brings courage into our lives to live out what we need. You know what my wife has done for me many times? Said the right thing at the right time that gave me courage to continue to live out the mission that God has me on, to be the man that God's called me to be. You know what my wife has done many times? Helped me connect emotionally to my kids where I wasn't quite understanding what was going on and there's those, those, those brains of theirs. And I wasn't being a great dad. And my wife came along and said, hey, hey, I think you need to do this a little bit. I think it's probably good if you go ahead and take them on a little outing and you spend some time with them. What, helping me connect to my kids and lead better and serve better. Why do we need husbands and wives, men and women in the kingdom of God? Why is the church called the family of God? Because it takes men and women who understand the mission, who have unique giftings and skill sets and abilities, and bring something unique to the table. Not to eliminate and say those things don't matter anymore. Oh, no, no, no. On the contrary, my friends, they matter very much what we do, how we live, how we serve together. And we come alongside and bring these things together. The family dynamic is important not only in the home, but in the church. Friends, the family dynamic is important to God. It's important to Faith Church. Why is it important to God? Because maybe your home doesn't look like husband and wife. Maybe your home looks a little bit different. Maybe your home has experienced some pain, some brokenness, some, some things aren't operating that way. Maybe your home has one spouse who isn't honoring God and doesn't care anything about God and doesn't want to love God. That's where the people of God get to come and support you and to still represent what it looks like. This is why godly men show up and they serve and lead small groups for our kids because kids needs to know what it looks like to be a man and and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they need women who can come along and nurture them and breathe courage into them and support them. And we need the people of God to live out the family of God. And that takes both genders who are submitted to God living out the testimony and the story of God in our context that we find ourselves. Family's important. It's important to God. It's it's important to us as a church. We, we really believe that discipleship happens best in your home. That's why we do things like the Bible binge. Because it's a great opportunity, men, to know exactly what to read every day and go ahead and make a decision. I think we'll read this as a family tonight at dinner time. And maybe for the first time, you and your family all read the Bible together. Maybe that's never happened. We're trying to give you tools and resources to help you do that. Help you disciple your kids in your home. We're committed to do this every week in our kids' ministry. Your kids go home, whatever environment they're in, they go home with these take-home sheets with Bible stories and activities and lessons. Why? Because we like giving homework too. Because we want to create a resource that you as a mom and a dad can do automatically with your kids and have spiritual conversation because they need your voice guiding their faith. That's what we're committed to as a church. We're committed to kids and teens circling up in small groups with caring adults who believe in them and love them and love God. And we need more. We need more men and women who love God 
and want to reach a generation before they need to be rescued with the word of God. Men and women who are like, man, I remember what it was like to be a teenager. I want to help lead a small group for kids. I want to help lead a small group for, for teenagers. And we train you. We give you resources. You're not on it on your own. You ain't got to figure it out on your own. But, but it's time that the people of God, the family of God, recognize that part of our call is to raise sons and daughters to be fathers and mothers who raise sons and daughters to become fathers and mothers in the house of God. As a church, we, we've been on a search for a little over a, a month now, actively looking for a, a, a full-time pastor to come on our staff and to oversee next-gen family ministries, kids all the way through high school, and to, to really lead the way in creating these avenues of discipleship and growth and rallying teams and leading teams to, to do these things and volunteers and all of these things. Why? Because relationships are formed in these groups. Relationships are formed in these opportunities and, and we love it and we want to see it grow. You know what I love is I love that our teenagers, people are like, you don't have a youth group. No, no, we have small groups and we have teenagers who love Jesus and we want to help teenagers love Jesus. And so one of the things that we do is put teenagers in small groups with other teenagers who grow and learn and discuss and talk about God and pray together and learn together because they need the relationships in their lives. They don't need to be entertained. They don't need to, to, to get up and do, no, no, they, they need somebody to walk alongside them, love them and believe in them and speak courage into them. And then we want to invite them to participate in the church. Why? Because they are the church. Kids and teens are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church today. They don't get a junior version of salvation and a junior version of the Holy Spirit. They get the same Spirit of God that I have. They get it in them. We invite teenagers on Sunday to participate as a, in the gatherings, just like we want to invite you to participate and engage in the gatherings. We have teenagers who serve all over the place every Sunday. I love it. Why? Because they're discovering, wait a second, I have a role to play. I have a part to play in the people of God. I can contribute. I get to be a part of seeing a child fall in love with Jesus. I get to be a part of helping make sure that people on the other side of a video screen get to hear the message and see the message. And we've got teenagers who run cameras and turn knobs and click buttons and teenagers who open doors and hold babies and circle up and lead kids in activities and small groups. And they're a part of the church because the family matters. Listen, we as a church believe in the next generation so much. This is why one of our favorite outreach partners, I say favorite, that's probably a strong word, but it's not too, too far from a lie. One of my favorite outreach partners that we have is our local school system, USD 234, where we get to partner with, right now, our elementary schools, two elementary schools in Fort Scott. And for the second year in a row, because of the faithful generosity of people like you and like us as a church, we are supplying 100% of the school supplies that those elementary kids need from kindergarten through fifth grade for this year. We get to do that. Why? Because we believe in the next generation. It's an investment and a joy to do it. Every time you give here, part of what you're giving towards is the mission that we're on, and that's part of our mission. 
friends. I am way out of time. Would you stand to your feet? Would you grab your communion elements that maybe you grabbed on your way in or you're at home? You've got something that looks like bread or juice. Just grab it real fast. Man, I hope today has been helpful. I hope it's lit a fire in you a little bit. You know, part of the issue in, 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 in Corinth, and he addresses it in the second half of 1 Corinthians 11, and part of the issue was they were coming, and when they would gather, they would have a meal. And those who were wealthy brought more of the meal than those who didn't have the ability to bring a meal. But those who were wealthy decided that they were more important than those who weren't wealthy, and they would just begin to eat the food ahead of time. And apparently there was plenty of wine there, because when they did communion then, they did like real wine. We don't because, well, you know, lots of cultural reasons today why we don't have real wine. A lot of practical reasons, like children. People were getting drunk, right? Like, they didn't even have a bar in the back of their sanctuary, and they were getting drunk. <laughs> Sidebar, those of you who are watching online, our church meets in a renovated old restaurant, and the bar is still in the room. We've never had communion on tap, but I don't know. I'm willing to reach just about anybody. Just... coming and they were being inconsiderate of everybody around them. They were just there for themselves. And it was causing divisions. Social classes were beginning to separate. People were getting offended, angry, overlooked. And the chaos itself was creating divisions. And Paul says, when you come to the Lord's table, don't you re realize that what you're actually doing is partaking of a common union with one another? That because of Jesus, there are no more distinctions. Racism, bigotry, political divides, socioeconomic discrepancies ought not keep you from walking in relationship. And where it exists in your heart and you're coming to the Lord's table as if it's just for you and only you, thinking that Christianity is an individual sport and it's not. And that's why some of you are sick and dying because you have misunderstood what it means to come to the table of the Lord. And you've never examined your own heart in the process. And you're living with pride arrogance and your own selfishness is causing you to misappropriate what God has meant to be common. So he says, when you come to the table, you might want to stop and check yourself. Check your heart. Is there pain, unforgiveness, bitterness, racism, rage, anger, swelling in your heart? Because Jesus forgave you. It's a good opportunity for you to stop and pause and choose to forgive someone else too. Choose to allow the lenses of your eyes to be adjusted to the cross of Christ.
can see clearly that brothers and sisters of different realities are loved and adored and called and belong. And we are the family of God. Would you bow your heads for a second? Just close your eyes. If you haven't already, go ahead and open the communion elements up and just hold them in your hand. And Can we do that? Can we just examine ourselves? Is, is some of the narrative of our life living based on offense? Is some of the narrative of our life living based on past trauma from maybe a bad relationship, bad church experience, bad... Maybe, maybe you've been living sinfully again and again and again and again, and you've never stopped to ask God if he has a different habit for your life that he wants you to walk in. Just, can we just pause and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Lord, as we get ready to take these communion elements, Lord, your, the bread represents your body which was broken so that our bodies could be whole and healed. Lord, the juice that represents your blood, which is poured out, which brings forgiveness to our hearts and our homes and our lives. And Lord, freely you've forgiven us. Would you help us freely forgive someone else? No longer holding them accountable for our experience. Lord, would you just help us release that toxicity in our own heart? Lord, help us find common union Christ as our center. Lord, help us to, as we come to the table, leave all of our baggage and take from the table the cup and the bread of blessing over us today. Thank you for it. Let's go ahead and take the bread, eat. And now the cup. Father, today, I pray that you would continue to bring us together. Continue to not look at divisions and distinctions, but rather recognize that we together are the family of God called to assemble together in unity under the cross of Christ. God, would you continue to be the author of our lives, the one we fully submit to, while at the same time learning to submit one to another, preferring each other above our own and Lord, would you help our families to reflect the image and the nature of you? We ask these things this week in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're 
If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.